You may be seated. Yeah, leave that right there. That right there. Hey, turn. Come on. Got it. Kids church, run away. If you have an opportunity, please leave. For your own safety. Kids. Huh? You got an inch on me. Yeah, he does. Before you say we're exactly the same height, he's got an inch on me. He wants you to know that. So. No, it doesn't have much in your life. I'm going to pray for you real quick and introduce you. This is Harry Herb. He is a dear friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other for about 10 years, a little over, right? Did that seem crazy? Uh, we went to seminary together for a time. We, were, we crossed paths. He was a little faster than me, right? Or a little ahead of me. Yeah. Um, and they now live in Northeast Ohio with his lovely wife, Ellie, if you've had a chance to meet them. And their two wonderful kids, Maggie and Zephaniah. They are all, they took a chance to run out. Run out. Yeah, they, they bailed out. Right, that's good. That's a win. Okay. So he is going to tell his story today. It's part of our ongoing series of people just telling your story and sharing what God has done with you in your life and how he's gotten you here. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to leave you to you. Ready? All right. Father God, I pray that today your spirit will fill Perry as he begins to speak, that his words will be your words, and his thoughts will be your thoughts. I pray that you will give him the strength he needs and the focus he needs to say what he's prepared, but to go off on a tangent if you want him to. Lord God, we are honored that we get to speak of you and the work you are doing in our lives. And I know that my brother Perry is ready to do the same today. Be with him, watch over him, care for him. It is in Jesus' holy name that I pray, amen. Amen. Wow, good morning to you. Am I, am I mic'd up okay? I sometimes don't speak loud enough, so just let me know if you can't hear me. Um, I am just, yeah, honored to be here. I'm glad to uh, have stayed, stayed connected with Rob and, and Heather over the years. Um, they're this close. We're actually only like two and a half hours away from you guys, and so um, it's making Ohio feel a little bit smaller, which is good. I just don't know this side of Ohio. You know, I'm in Amish country, Holmes County, and I think maybe that was the one appeal I think I needed to talk about. I stayed with the uh, uh, Ginters last night, and um, I think it's Kay- Kaylee, right? Or Kylie. She's like, she thought that was pretty fascinating that I was Amish, but so that'll be part of my story this morning. Um, I'm, I don't have the Amish garb, so I'm obviously not Amish anymore, but. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit about that story this morning. Hopefully, God will, I'm praying that God will be honored by what we share today, what I share today, and that maybe somewhere along the line, the landmarks of my faith um, will also inspire you and, and, and say something to you. And so as, as a verse, that to me will just overarch kind of everything today. Um, now, I, I have an understanding that you guys are kind of a perfect church from what... <laughs> So I'm actually very, <laughs> I'm actually kind of nervous because of that, because it sounds like a perfect church. So I, you know, you guys put me in the perfect family last night. Gary's this amazing super hunter and this beautiful home. And, and have you ever felt like you've been brought somewhere or went on a journey completely different than what you originally set out for? Like you ran into somebody who's like, that's why I was supposed to be here. Or you learned something along the trip and you're like, that's why I'm actually here now. 
So I think my colleague, well, the reason I'm here, we went to Indiana for a sales trip. We were all worn out. And I think the main reason that I came this weekend was to get a nice hot bath in the basement at Ted McGinter's house. I say that uh, to make them feel good because I think um, they said they've only used the bath bathtub like one time. So now they feel good about having put that in the basement. Uh, but it really refreshed me. It really encouraged me. And, and honestly, it really, really was uh, refreshing for our family to, to settle there. And, and Rob last minute said, you know, not feeling so well at home. We're gonna, I'm going to set you up with another family. And it, so it sounds like you guys are kind of the perfect church. Number two reason why you're the perfect church. I said, Rob, how long? You know, like I've never done my testimony. This is weird. Like I've preached for years off and on, but I've never given a testimony. So I'm actually more nervous than I've ever been um, because, you know, I've always been a Christian. I've always been in the church or in, in uh, my family has been religious or whatever you want to say. Had faith. It's like, wow, how, how am I going to speak about this? How much time do I have? And he says, early on, I started, you know, whether it's 15 minutes or it's an hour, the church is used to whatever. I'm like, so it's the perfect church. <laughs> so uh, I know you're not just showing your best side uh, to each other. You all truly are being honest with each other in your faith. And I love that. I can already sense that, um, that you're here to, to be cut by the word. And that last song that we just sang actually fits right with my first verse here. And if you'll turn with me in Hebrews, another reason you're perfect church, he said, you guys actually open your Bibles, so this will make it easy for me. Uh, following along with me would be great. I've got about three verses that are heart verses for me that kind of will mark my journey with you, uh, with, with Christ. But I've got a lot of other, other verses in between in my 12-point sermon here. Literally, I've got 12 <laughs> markers. Yeah. So could be 20 minutes if I talk fast, but uh, Hebrews 4 actually hit me this week really hard because it was, it was a verse of the week. Um, and as a verse I memorized, you know, growing up, especially in school of preaching, I went to years ago, I went to a very conservative, very intense school of preaching. And that was one of those verses like, we're going to be talking about the word. You got to know this verse, right? Hebrews 4.12 and my son could probably uh, quote it. He's in class right here. But the word of God is alive or living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, you know, I always jump to this. It's like, well, obviously, the word of God is sharp. You know, you hear preachers say it cuts both ways. And, you know, God can discern things in your life. And... But I, I kind of get stuck on these things sometimes that jump out. If, if it's weird, I like to look at it in the Bible. If it's weird, it seems to be important to me. Either it's weird in my brain, and therefore I need to be clarifying what God is, or I need to understand what God is saying, and I've got a messed up mind about it. Or it's weird because God is trying to draw attention to something. So that's how my mind works when I study, and you're going to learn that about me. Um, but what's the marrow? Like, does God's word literally, like, figure out the difference between my bones and my stuff inside of my bones? It's kind of like... That doesn't make sense, you know. I get the spirit and soul thing because it's hard to di differentiate the soul from the spirit. I do believe they're distinct. But it's so distinct that I sometimes don't know, is this my thoughts? Is that God's thought? Is that, is that the devil or is that me? Or, you know what I mean? You have this distinction that you're like, you're living this life and you think you should be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you feel led. But here it says the word is so powerful. And this applies to all of us this morning. God's 
word is so sharp that it can divide. And I believe what he's saying is a parallel here. The Hebrew priest would use a sharp two-edged sword. It was called a makira. But it, only two other times is this word used. It can be used for a short sword, like when Peter cut off the ear, the Malchus. But this sword right here is also in the mouth of Jesus in Revelation twice. It's not, it's not used again when you say two, two-edged sword. And some look at this as, since this is the book of Hebrews, it's talking about the priestly order and, and all the things that Jesus has become as the high priest. In the Hebrew context, this would have been the sacrificial knife that would cut open. So I was like, this is perfect because I was at Gary's house last night and we, I enjoyed some of this, this amazing deer jerk he has. And, and you think about like what, what it takes to divide. You don't just go like, okay, let's gut this deer. You, just, you can't just start cutting. It is, you have to have the perfect knife and you have to know what you're looking at. So when, when the high priest Jesus, through, through his word, slices, it's not just a bone. He can actually separate the outer layer of the bone because they would use that for something else and the inside where the marrow is. In the same way, God can so, with his word, can so precisely find out what's in my heart that he can, he can help me. Wow, is that for me? I soul, I feel like I got soul, you know, whatever. But the soul is beautiful, but the spirit informs, the Holy Spirit informs our spirit and then informs the soul and then the soul works the body and then the body goes out and does stuff. Guys, this is how powerful the word is. And that's why today I'm going to show you some of my heart verses. Am I, are you guys with me so far? I got deep quick. Okay. Um, I do that and then I can be goofy quick too. So uh, stay with me here. Um, another thing that's been on my heart about this like I said, like sometimes you feel like you're going to be somewhere for a different reason than you are, and then you get there and you, you realize you've met some people. What, as I go through this, we're going to see like hurt people in my life and things in my life that were markers, and I hope you will do the same thing. Like, What have been some things in your life that are, um, I think how you said it last night, you get the drops in your life. Share drops in your life. Um, Shelly was saying that to me last night at the dinner table that, you know, God dropped something in there, and, and it stuck, right? It's not that God wasn't always there, not that the word isn't always powerful. It's that when I tune in and I listen, and this reminded me of this verse in, um, in Ephesians 5, 16, that it's used, the word is, is used in there called kairos, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Time is not chronos, which is kind of like just lineal time. It is a season, a specific moment in time. It could just be sound like a special indicated time. It doesn't have to be like something huge, but many times when it's used in scripture, when Christ came at the right Kairos, he came at the right, perfect, opportune time. And I hope that you'll start seeing that in your life, that, that you'll pay attention and not waste those opportunities to be transformed by the word of God. In Romans 5, 6, he says that at the right time, Jesus came. That's when he came to while we were our weakest. So, sorry, I've already gone through my intro and didn't realize it. Um, yes. So, looking at my, my times as I look through them, my mom and dad left the Amish when I was three years old. And that's something that colors my life. You know, it's kind of like 
I can't avoid that. You know, early on, I actually didn't want to tell anybody, you know, because I was embarrassed. You know, you were Amish, you know, but then it depends on some circles like, cool, you were Amish. I like, what was that like? And so it kind of colored me. I had to hide it sometimes. I had to lift it up a little bit. And it's like, who really am I? Right. We all go through this. And the song that we had this morning, it just kept coming back to that again and again and again. I found a surgeon that is actually working in my heart. So like all of us are going through this journey where the verse and, and, and whoever did our special music this morning, you know, I was, is that, was that written by, by her? That was a beautiful song. Oh, sorry. Here you are. And just, just thinking of like these verses that have been in my life, but then they just keep getting more life. It's, it's just a black and white and you're memorizing it, but then it becomes life. So my message this morning, my story, hopefully is your story as well. God's word is quick and active. It's living. It can change you. And I've come back to it in this last, especially this last two years. I was saturated. Rob and I, you know, we did 21-hour semesters in seminary school. It was sometimes you're just filled, but you're overflowing, and you can't retain it all. And so you almost have to step back sometimes. And I've been gone really from 10 years from, like, deep, deep study all the time. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm studying myself, but I'm not working full-time with the church so I, I struggle sometimes with that old view that I had of the Bible. I might even go to another translation just so I can have a fresh perspective. But I'm not trying to change the truth. I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm chasing after you. And lately, again, I'm seeing the word of God. Just not, not reading about it, not even reading theological books, not even the podcasts that I love that help me think deeper. But just when I go back and quietly read it again and let it just be what it is, it will lay you bare. And it will allow God to search. So hopefully as we go through the, more of these, you'll see that in your own life. So as a kid, I mentioned the Amish. I'll just go to step one. <laughs> um, landmark number one. Real quick here, leaving the Amish. My wife Ellie's with us today, and her grandpa was actually the one that uh, baptized my mom and dad after we left the, the Amish. When I was about three or four and my oldest brother was nine, so there were seven of us Amish kids. And the very first time we walked into a church building about this size, we were in our Amish clothes. So I wonder how you all would react to someone doing that, just walking in in full Amish garb. I don't think we brought the buggy. I don't know how it worked. <laughs> Maybe we did. I don't remember. But Ellie's grandpa was there. My wife's grandpa was there. So we have an early history. And then she ran away to another state. And that's another story we'll come back to. Uh, but I always was connected to her. Uh, and, and I wanted to point something out here that's a marker for me. That I think in our spiritual walk, whether you, you look at a, a Jewish nation or you look at a Gentile nation or you look at where we come out of, let's say someone coming from an Arabic background, from a Muslim background, from a Buddhist background. Uh, I, I remember years ago some, some hearing some teachers, I think Robbie Zacharias was one guy that I remember here, that he felt like he was just in the shadow of his father, even as he became a great speaker. Uh, he was just in the shadow of this. You know, he's the son of the son of the son of some, and here he is to speak with us, like very much like, here's who you are, your dad, your, your grandparents, and everybody around you. And, and so, again, that kind of that, I don't want to say a shadow, but just that, the Amish background behind me, and then even the negative of that, like, yeah, we left that. You know, we didn't want that legalism. So my dad's story was my story, you know? My dad left the Amish, and when people would ask about faith, I was kind of like, well, dad left the Amish because they made him, he didn't, he couldn't do this, and he couldn't do this, and they started like, is this man's religion, or is it God's religion? And, you know, my story was his story, which was still a beautiful thing, but 
Um, it wasn't my story yet. And we moved from Holmes County, which is where all the Amish were at the time, and we moved to County Over, and there was no more English, no more Amish speaking. I wasn't around Amish in school or anything like that. And so that story, you know, we stopped speaking that language. It's like, that's just another world. That's just like, it's a, it's a County Over, but that was just the life I had. But it's still part of me, you know? I even stopped speaking that language, which was my first language. By the time I was 15, so it was Landmarker 2, we moved away from Holmes County, so that was a big mark for, marker for me, but um, I was baptized about 15, and my father baptized me, and I, and I bring that up again to say that like, I think that's when my, my story, I truly separated myself from you know, my dad's story, my mom's story, and that community, and I, was, I saw my baptism as like becoming an adult, really. You know, I saw that as I make this choice to serve Christ, and it, it's, a, it's a line in the sand, whatever I have in the future, and Jesus, I need your help. I realized coming into that age, I needed Christ for all the things that um, I believed he wanted to do through me. I already, people always say, oh, Perry, someday you're going to be a preacher. I just knew it. I just knew it, right? Because I was digging in the Word. But here's where I want to bring a part of my story, the negative side, and, and it, it's a continuing thing. In our desire for the truth, in our desire to be refined, don't we sometimes like, well, if I'm doing it, you need to do it to you because we want to connect to each other, right? I can remember sitting about right here where you guys are sitting. It was one of these pews. We kind of jumped a little bit in my family at the New Philadelphia Church of Christ in Ohio. And I can remember like this feeling overcoming me of, I close my eyes and I'm hearing, and I just felt like it was off. The church was like, like this church is. And, and I just remember thinking, I, you know, I had this fantasy about living in the jungle too. Like I'm, I'm into herbalism and stuff right now, but I realized like I could never have survived around all that jaguars and who knows what kind of things, you know, like ideally I like, I love people and I want to be around people. I'm a very people poor person, but sometimes I just wanted to be away. I wanted to be away from the chaos and like just the things that didn't feel logical to me, that didn't make sense. I grew up in an Amish home, right? So it was like, get everything right. And then we went to a church of Christ. We have a restoration background. It's like, we've got the Bible. We've got it figured out. We understand the truth. Let's go. We've got it figured out. Everybody just needs to get in line, right? Okay. I love the truth. So here I am sitting this pew bob right here. I've been pointing with all these fingers. I'm not pointing to anybody. But I... Oh, you just, I was right here. Um, so, this is, I mean, you guys can tell. Does everybody cry that shares their testimony when they do this? I'm, this is new, new for me. Okay, so I'll try not to cry to the end. Uh, so we can keep talking. But I can remember, and this is a pure feeling, a pure thought. It wasn't a negative thought, but self-righteousness comes from this for me. What if there was this perfect church? And I was like imagining in another country, and I imagined early church, like they were meeting in the catacombs at different times, like just this pure, like everything was right. I just had this, like, we leave the Amish. This was always, a, you know, if we left the Amish, then what's the perfect church? I thought now we're in it because we're in the Church of Christ, right? I can remember that feeling at 14, 15, and then I was baptized, but it was like I can remember thinking through that, and it drove me even into school to find find the perfect church, but just like, you know, I want truth. Does anybody share that that desire to just really have pure truth and you're just kind of done with the, the ignorant people? Right? 
Well, how close is that to arrogant? You asked this morning, holiness, what is holy? Well, God is separate from me. So like, I want that distinction that I'm talking about. But, but the enemy can use that to say, well, yeah, you are closer and you are there. You're just never going to find the right church. So maybe you got to start your own. Maybe your wife isn't even, <laughs> like I heard the preacher say that years ago, he's like, I'm not sure, all these other folks, I'm not, he goes, I'm not even sure about my wife. <laughs> so, like, he's all by himself in his own mind of perfection. I'm opening up my heart to you about this. Along with that, my first heart verse that I remember, like uh, Dr. Willingham, Randy Willingham helped us with this. Like, if you listen to someone talk long enough and you're a good listener, uh, as a Christian, you're going to hear how they pray. You know how we all kind of have our certain tells when we pray? Man, that guy cares about that. This lady, she, she, this sister really, she cares about her kids and, and about the heart of God. And, you know, whatever, you start using this language. And he said, well, what do, you, what do you use? And so we had to break down a heart verse. And mine at the time was our next one is, is John 12, 24. But my first heart verse early on, even before I became a Christian, and as I became, as I was like committed to Christ and was baptized, was 1 Corinthians 9, 22. And I still, I would say this, these all kind of build on themselves for me as a person. Sorry, I, maybe I didn't put that one up there. First Corinthians 9, 22. If you'll follow in your, in your word with me there. Um, did I put that one on there? Oh, I did. Good. I, was, I have a few, but First Corinthians 9, 22, you know, Paul, I saw myself as Paul, you know, because think about it. Who's more intense in the Bible? Who wrote the most books? And who left everything and just was intense and like, for the Lord, even could confront someone like Peter, you know, like the apostle Peter, he can confront him and say, you are being a hypocrite. I love Paul because that's who, if he's, a, if you think about the, the, the ideal missionary who can go anywhere and not be afraid of anything, Paul. Well, I found out I'm more of a John, you know, I am more of a John, but in this mindset of getting it right and finding the truth Loving people, but just, you know, this verse kind of anchored me. Again, though, the enemy can use the word against you if you don't know the depth of it. Here in this verse, he says, To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. I see Brother Robin in a lot of ways like this. I was in the back. He's going to grab me a water. He's, he's ready to do whatever for anybody. But he has a solid cord. And he, we're in the back of getting some water, and he says, hey, how are you doing? He mentioned to one of you. And he's supposed to be up here, supposed to be, right? And you guys are already starting to sing or announce things. And he's back hearing one of you talk, right, about what's really going on. So perfect church again. <laughs> but... What I lost in that early on, I didn't have a depth of scripture in my own life. Sometimes we can have such a zeal, we don't even know what what we are. You know, I just like, I become all things and I just kind of became this diluted, not diluted, diluted dilution, right? I became, um, didn't know who I was fully. So I kind of had this mimicking the gospel and, and being anything to anyone. But, you know, someone's say, where do you want to go to eat? Ask my wife still. It's hard for me to make decisions. But anyway, but this verse has, still has that core for me, that, that someone like Paul 
He, he didn't say he can save everybody, but he had this heart to become all things to all people, all types of people to save some of them. Uh, so like I said, the enemy may have used that, but that is still a core verse for me. And co- going through this process of letting God work on me and work out of me self-righteousness, I've had to learn the grace. Like I come up and I'm like, I'm not going to be a Paul. I'm not, a, I'm, but I, I want to be, but bringing the grace of God into it. One thing that really humbled me, and my, this is my fourth landmark on the journey to completion, if you'd want to say, or to sanctification. My journey along the way, in uh, 1998, I went to a school of preaching uh, to your program, and in the midst of that program, uh, I lost a friend who was not there with me, but it was a childhood friend. Um, he had his own troubles in, in life, but we'd become really good friends. We were camping together, and he took his life. Um, so the, these are markers in my life that made me stop and go like, here I am in the middle of school preaching and learning how to present the gospel and, you know, be, be in front of the pulpit and, and sh- you know, be in my three-piece suit and share the truth, the truth, which it was the truth, but at the same time, not a complete expression of it. And I lose my friend and I wasn't there and I couldn't say goodbye to him. How can I ever replace that? How can I ever, even if I am a Paul and I'm going all over the world sharing the gospel, I couldn't even, I couldn't even be there for my friend in his darkest time? Because we kept fading away. He, would, he got into some stuff he shouldn't have and he started going down a, a certain path, but I couldn't follow him there, but I didn't just judge him, but I just, we just kind of went separate. So like, there's a lot of soul searching. It was a, a year of just like, almost don't remember that next year. It impacted me that greatly. And what I did take from that and what I still, not just I should just take something from it, but what really impacted me was just the value of one person. You know, the value of a soul. And when, like when Jesus said, Matthew 16, 26, what, what will a man give in exchange for a soul? Like if you got the whole world and from the standpoint of ministry, what if, what if we reached this whole community? but then you didn't love the way you should love this person right in front of you. Now, I'm not saying I made some huge mistake. I mean, he made his choices. I make my choices, but it just made me appreciate how one thing, number one, the value of a soul, and number two, life is too short. If you don't get anything today, life is too short and too fragile to not share love. That moment you feel like, eh, it's awkward if I say something to this person or like, or even expressing your frustration. It, life is too short not to share. Say what you need to say. And so that really solidified um, for me, you know, not just running after something that's in my soul or my mind, but that what is God, what is God leading me to do? So that was a sad, sad mark in my life and still is, you know, it's taken me years really to process and, um, and even understanding that. And uh, shortly after that, this is where Ellie comes back into my life. Uh, landmark number five, moved, I moved to Tennessee in 2005. Um, and a heart verse is kind of developing for me at this time. I'm realizing, you know, when Jesus said in John, this is my next heart verse, John 12, 24. You know, I left Ohio to move down to Tennessee, and I can remember young men. Is there any young men here, like, thinking about dating right now? So I'm not, I'm not giving advice here at all, but I had very little money, and I remember driving from Ohio 
and I was almost to, to Kentucky to get down to Paris, Tennessee. I remember distinctly that the sun's, I'm chasing the sun, so I'm getting a little bit more sunlight. And I could remember the money I had in my pocket, like 80 bucks, was enough. If I got to this city in Kentucky, if I got past it, I wouldn't have enough money to get back home. So I was like, okay, I can still turn around. If I, if I get to, uh, wasn't Murray, it was a little before that. And I remember, like, it was such a dividing line for me. Like, I'm, I love this woman, and, and I have potential here, and, and I want to get to know her better and with her family. And I was like, you know what? God didn't say, and therefore a woman shall leave her house and go to be with her husband. It does say, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. I can't be a mama's boy. I got to go. <laughs> um, but, but during that time, a verse that has, has stuck with me and really is my main heart verse, it's interesting enough, is Jesus himself speaking it, but wait, the, what he, the intention behind it is so, it's so applicable to everything. Even the world uses these kind of like, you, you know, you got to kind of make sacrifices to get ahead. I'm not talking about it like this. This is Jesus saying like in the midst of his um, approach to the cross, he starts feeling the weight. But this is what he says. Let's go back a little bit. John 12, um, 24. And, and, and there's, such a, there's such an urgency here. Look at John 12, 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Here's a time we don't even see Jesus responding. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come. Greeks, this is the first time we see Greeks coming to Jesus. So it's almost like Jesus has fulfilled his mission. He's like, I've come to the lost sheep of Israel. And then he's getting so well-known and popular. Some of his disciples say, hey, there's some Greeks that even want to talk to you. Gentiles, some of them. And Jesus was going to go into the rest of the world, but he was going to do it through us, through the apostles. Right there, instead of Jesus saying, okay, I got, I got some time to talk, he says, thumbs up. It's time for me to go to the cross. Look at verse, uh, verse 22 again, 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground or earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Just like Paul, that was my earlier verse, like he became all things, he kind of gave up what he thought he had to do in that moment or what he had a right to do to serve others. Here Jesus is saying, you know, not only, not only is it, this is important to do, he said, you're going to be lonely. Well, I, I love thinking about, plant. I don't know if anybody here is a farmer or I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a, anybody, okay, anybody? I do remember saying we're an agricultural community. Okay, great. So you can talk about this way more than, but a seed, a kernel, one little seed. Now, I love pumpkin seeds or I love sunflower seeds. You eat that, it's done. It nourished you for whatever that was. But if I have the, the, the thought and the sacrifice to plant that in the ground, we know it multiplies, right? Jesus is not only saying that as he is planted and is resurrected, he's saying, I'm going to have all these children. And this is a heart verse for me because this hits at the core of who I am. Does anybody actually almost afraid of being bored? 
I don't know if I've ever been bored. I always can like think of something to think about or to do. But this this is actually a cure for my boredom. Jesus is saying, if you will, if you will not hold on and you will sacrifice and you will let yourself go the way he is going to do, we're going to be crucified with him, you know, that you will never be alone. You're going to be a lonely seed out there if you hold it all in. You you are a lonely nut <laughs> if you don't follow Christ in this. Sorry. So that's the hard verse for me. Now, luckily I've changed my passwords, but you used to be able to steal that from me. You could have probably found everything about me because John 12, 24, that's my verse. Perry, this is how I'm going to get rid of your self-righteousness. Just die to yourself. Die to yourself. I'm going to keep again and again. I'm going to keep bringing, bringing forth fruit. It's happening with my kids. And there's times where I don't want to be around. I'm just too tired, but then they need that and they need that time. These teachable, opportune moments. Number six, we'll hurry up here. Harding University, that's where I met Rob. There's a marker in my life that if I could put it in one phrase, I remember the school preaching I went to was like 10 years before. And it was almost like they said, you're going to be overflowing. You're overflowing. You're not going to be able to hold in all that we give you here because it's just going to be so intense. Preaching. But I felt like at Harding and the friends I had around me and the school I had around me, it's like my cup got bigger. It was like a bigger, it's rather than just have this thimble filled with water. It's like now like I got a different vessel, a different storage unit. You know, I'm, I'm able to expand and see bigger and have bigger paradigms to look at what God's done. And God is ever expanding us. And again, that verse is still with me. I'm dying to myself. I even shared it for that class. It was like, you know, this is my heart verse. I, I want to keep growing, keep expanding. And, and letting God, letting Jesus through the resurrection move me forward. Um, believe it or not, while I was there, immediately went to Michigan for a summer and then went to California. So that's landmark number seven, California after Harding, 2011. And there, verse, uh, though it may not be a heart verse, it's one I always had. You know, you mark some things by, by time. Is there anyone in your life that you're like, you literally, it's like life before and life after this person. Okay. We've been married. Death of a parent. Yeah. Yeah. Specific people you met that you didn't even know you were going to meet, maybe, and like, wow, like they changed my world. Obviously, if you're married, and then obviously if you have kids. But even for me, this guy that I preached about and that Rob has preached about, and all, all of us that have ever preached, we talked about this type of person. And we said, you know, God can save anyone. And I get to California, and my friends who we stayed with I made friends with this guy named Eli Contreras. I literally marked my mind in my life like by faith before and faith after meeting this man because he was in the depth of despair. I can't share his whole story, obviously. That's for him. But that's the guy. That's the guy that was when Jesus comes up to the demoniac in the, in the, in the graves or when he, he meets these people that have no hope. We, we teach about these, but like, did I ever meet someone that God reached out so far, they didn't come into a church and hear a message, or they didn't even get get taught by by someone in their community. It was that God had to reach this man. So, this man, his his key verse was Second Corinthians five seven, that if any man is a new creation, or if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past; the new is now come. He is not the same person in any way, and it took the blinders off of me, like how God can work. Even though I believed it, now I saw it in flesh. 
Second thing I learned in California, I kind of saw, and this is where transition, kind of where I am now in my life. And hopefully I can kind of settle with you guys here and maybe express some fears along with hopes that I entered into leaving California in 2012 and coming to Ohio again. It's like I saw what was going to come to America by being in California. I hope no one's from California. Been, I loved, actually I loved being, I could have stayed there. It's like, except for the politics, areas. <laughs> beautiful, right? And it's, I went there to a culinary school to maybe do some tent making um, rather than being, um, you go right into ministry school. I got an offer to do that, but I go to work with the church. We went back to Ohio after I had finished this, this uh, holistic culinary school. And, um, but it was like, I was hoping seeing folks there's like, look what God has created. Isn't he amazing? And they were like, look at all that I have. I don't need God. And worship self, the new age, like really just, I mean, I got confronted directly about my faith. Like, do you believe in the God, the da-da-da-da, you know, and, and hard questions. And I wasn't there that long, just six months. So that wave kind of, I kind of anticipated that coming to Ohio. That brings me to where we're at now. The last eight years of my life. Well, one thing that pushed us back home was Maggie was, we were expecting Maggie. Little Maggie Malia, she is uh, nine this year. And just like everybody has a marker, they say that you will always remember when your baby's born. Like Maggie's seeing Maggie upside down in her little uh, old plastic box they put them in. But her crying and Ellie saying, hey, hold your baby. Like here Ellie's just been pushing and then out comes this beautiful baby. And I'm just like in shock. Go say hi to your baby. And I turned and I said, shh, daddy. And she got I can still see her looking at me backwards because her feet were that way, and she's frozen in my mind. Being a dad, it doesn't. It, it was instant. It was instant. Now I get to understand God's heart a little bit more. All those things I read about Him, and that I believed about Him, and truly even obeyed because He is my Father. Now I really wow, my dad. <laughs> Shortly after, we have my walking sermon, number nine in my journey, Zephaniah, Peregrine Herb. Weird name. <laughs> you know Zephaniah's in the Bible? <laughs> I get people like, where's that from? <laughs> uh, God, God called him Zephaniah, I believe, because there is, a, in my Amish background, there's a Hezekiah. And I thought, you know, that's a really powerful name in Hebrew. It's Hittakiah, the strength of God. Uh, and it's kind of a karate sound, too. Uh, um, but Zephaniah is in the context of Hezekiah would have been a great-grandfather of Zephaniah. And I had a friend who called his, his son Josiah at the time from, from Harding. He was a friend in our small group, Josh and Julia. They had, they had a, a boy, Josiah, and I got to looking at the history of Josiah. Josiah had the most reforms of any king. They said he was so great as a king that followed the heart of the Lord more than any king before him. What about David? This just kind of puts it out there, like, yet he dies in battle. And even though he cut down the idols and reformed, the, reformed, his, reformed Israel, Yet the people's hearts had not fully turned. Here's where Perry is transitioning from. I'm left California and I'm just seeing this wave come. And it's like, the world I'm living in, I want a warrior. 
I want a strong warrior that's going to fight against the evil and that's going to go against and have justice and is going to be for the truth. And then I look at Josiah's reign and who prophesied during Josiah's reign? Zephaniah. He was either a priest or a prophet. Maybe there's two Zephaniahs, but his name, there's some, there's some interesting etymology here. And this is where God led me to name my son, my walking sermon. Zephaniah, he is God hides, God treasures. Folks, this is what I want for our generation. Not he's hiding in a corner, but God, when you hold something dear to you, nothing can take it away. Jesus said, you know, the enemy, if you're in my hands, you can't, he cannot get you. No one can snatch them out of my hand, Jesus said to John. Even back then, Zephaniah, and this is terrible to imagine, but Ellie's read some of these books and like kind of like the historical fiction. It's very likely that Zephaniah was literally hidden from the murderous self child sacrifice of the grandfather before him. He could have been saved from child sacrifice in Israel nation. Lord, hide my kid. Lord, treasure my kid the way I treasure him, my child, and our treasure your church. His middle name, I have my name has some Latin roots potentially from Peregrine, which is a falcon. I love birds, the Peregrine falcon, but it means a pilgrim. The name was given to, to uh, pilgrims in the past. So his name together is Zephaniah is hidden of Yah, a pilgrim or wanderer. It's, you know, I, I kind of meander. Um, and Irv just means inheritance. So my last name means heir. So that's what we all are in Christ. Heirs who are pilgrims, treasured and hidden by God. That's what you are today in Christ. And in the midst of that, I remember I was learning a lot of what's going on, conspiracies and what's happening in the world and really what's going on somewhat, you know, fringe, truth or community kind of stuff. And Ellie's mom, uh, Debbie, she said, can you have a kid when all this is going on in the world? Before we had Zephaniah, we were ex- expecting him. And Ellie always says, what do you say, Ellie? Yeah. Like the courage it took to have a kid while you're potentially afraid, right? And so my very next verse here, and we could read Zephaniah. Zephaniah 2.3 says, um, humble yourself, perhaps you will be hidden in the day of his wrath. Zephaniah is all negative, negative until you get to, until you get to chapter three, and it's one of the most beautiful are beautiful verses in the world. Like a lot of people have as their special verse, Zephaniah 3, 17, that he sings over us. God quiets us in his love and he sings over us. He's a mighty to save warrior. But not me singing to God, he's singing to me. But what he does before that, he says, I'm destroyed. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm wreaking havoc on all this. I, I'm done. But then he says that the reason I'm doing this and gathering all nations together, I don't have a clock. Um, he... Oh, you did? How mean. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you in his love. He will delight with you in singing. What does he do before that? Guys, I, I do want to read this. 
I think it's so pertinent to where we're at right now, guys. What, what God is not just doing, but what he is allowing also, the evil that is happening, and what God is allowing right now to happen in our world. I believe this with all my heart. I'm convicted on this. Is what's happening here in Zephaniah 3.11. On that day, after God's made all these judgments, including his own people, you will not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled. He's not saying you haven't rebelled. That you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. Are you tired of arrogant, proud, vicious people in the world? That's going to end. You will no longer be haughty on my holy mouth, but I will leave. God is leaving something behind. He's leaving a remnant. And you're, you're tasting it right now. You all are beautiful people. Servants of the, whole, of the holy God. And he's perfecting us. He's making us holy. But he's leaving amongst, uh, not just in your midst, but even in here. He's getting rid of that pride. He's getting rid of that arrogance. And he says, they will seek refuge in the name of the Lord. They will hide in Yahweh again. So we can rejoice. And that's the rest of, of, of Zephaniah. So moving on, in that fear of like what's happening, my next, my next marker is Psalm 37. I can remember the moment when I read this for the first time again, and I was 37 years old. It was almost like I needed something. I actually remember being at our church, my family's church in Dalton, Ohio. They just have a small kind of, kind of family, uh, almost a home church. They meet at a, an Amish restaurant on Sundays. And I was like, I love to hear the message, but I was like, in my mind, in my spirit, I was saying, God, I need something. I feel so selfish to say this, but I need something for me because I was just kind of the routine. I was working jobs, and I wasn't doing what I thought the Lord wanted me to do, and I was like, I need something for me. And when I read, and, I'm, and I, was, I was actually angry of what's going on in the world, I'd learned, you know, what this is and what this is going on in the world, the, the elite that control the world, you know what I'm saying? Like the things that we... Spend too many hours on the internet trying to figure out who said what and what's really truth. And I was pretty convicted I was right about it, and I still am. But the fear had become a stumbling. And because I was 37, and because of this number coming in my life, I was like, I don't believe in following numbers. I'm not a Kabbalist. I don't believe in this stuff. But this number 37, I felt God kept putting it in front of me. And I was like, well, what's, is there a Deuteronomy 37? Because we were in Deuteronomy that Sunday. And I was like, well, Psalm 37, and I'm not joking you, friends. When I read Psalm 37, I just read through the first 10 verses. It was like every verse, like all this way, just boom, It was like one, like, okay, boom, and it just kept going. And it says it over and over, do not fret. Go home and read that today. In the context of evil men, evil schemes, it, anger and fretting and fear will only produce harm. And it just convicted me. So now every time I see that number, just go, don't fear, no fear. That was number number 10 in my life. That has carried me all the way. To, I'm 43 now, just this last January. That verse, that, that whole passage has become kind of a theme for me. And in light of that, uh, I'll just quickly say it, and I'm pulling up this book here, but um, a marker of a person that I haven't met but read is this, this book here, The Unseen Realm by Mike Kaiser. In all of my seven years of uh, Culinary school, seminary, and, and just Bible learning, and 20 years of really deep study. You know, I never had some of these tough questions in my life answered about understanding some of these tougher passages. 
And to mark a verse, that would be um, Psalm 82, Deuteronomy 32, and then books like Jude that talk about this, you know, the angelic hosts and the falling that they, there was. I was given permission scholarly to actually look at, wow, there's, there's one verse I will say. When Paul says in Corinthians, he said, why are you guys taking each other to, to court? Don't you guys know that we're going to judge angels? A weird passage, right? Again, weird sticks out to me. What you all are doing right now in the beauty of holiness and the beauty of fellowship and submitting your life to Christ and the word through the word, you are actually judging the fallen beings, the ones that in the face of God made their own plans and deceived man. We know of one for sure we believe in, right? The, the enemy Satan. But there were more than that. And so for me to, to now have some answers after all these years to appreciate that a lot of these things, is like, how is this happening? Why is this happening? Now I see that God's even working out a more cosmic picture than I could grasp as a young man. So that's marker number 11 for me, that I was able to fully embrace that, you know, I do believe in the supernatural and I even have scholarship. Uh, I'm, a, I'm permitted to look at even from scholarship that they, there's like, these are, this is in the text. And on a deep level, not just like, oh, there's bad guys and there's good guys, or there's, you know, it's, it gets deeper than that. And it's all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament. Too much to go into that. And in number, number 12, one thing that was solidified for me that kind of connects to all that was my Israel trip. I went to Israel in 2019, right before all COVID, the COVID era. And I feel that Psalm 37, God was preparing me for the COVID era, you know, like, yeah, you're sitting pretty in Holmes County. Everybody has their picket fences. Everybody's beautifully living their life. But fear is coming. Fear is coming, and you need to deal with it. Terror is coming. Fretting is coming. You need to deal with it. And I'm here. And again, and again, and again. It wasn't like I got this. That's why it's still a heart verse. Is anybody still learning about how to not fear? I mean, he tells you not to do it, but we still deal with it. So here in Israel... All of my longings, and, and I can say this very, very sincerely, like I went with Dr. Bill, one of our, our, our uh, over the program that Rob and I went into. I wanted to go to Israel so bad because I, just to be honest, guys, I miss Jesus. You know what I mean? I really just wanna, wanted to taste what he tasted. I wanted to sit where he sat. And when you're spending an hour or two in one spot where you say, hey, here's where the disciples, here's where Mag Mary Magdalene was born and raised, and you think about her story. And then Jesus, where did he meet her first and deliver her? And you're, you're hearing, you know, Peter talking to Jesus up in um, Caesarea Philippi. He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you're, you're hearing these conversations in that space. It's a very empty feeling when he's not there. And then I understand why he said, guys, if I don't go, I can't send the comforter. I can't be with everybody in America and in Europe and in Rome. He loved you so much that he loved to be at the right hand of the Father as our high priest to intercede. 
So I'm so thankful I got to smell, taste, feel that Jesus isn't in Israel anymore. Even the angels told us that, hey, he's not here anymore. He's going to come back the way you saw him go. So I'm very thankful, and it brought him closer, his stories closer, and his word can penetrate even more. But I'm telling you, you are just, I mean this, you are just as close to Jesus in your understanding because of the weight of what we have learned. The, the Jesus you have in your mind and in your heart is just as true and as powerful as you know, even more so than you go to some of these where there's like a Catholic setup where it's like it's just surrounded in gold and you can't even imagine Jesus being a baby there anymore, right? So you don't have a, a watered-down view of Jesus. And all the more because he gave you his word and the Holy Spirit. Walk with us. And so that's my very last verse. From Israel, it was full of water. From the waters of Galilee, the Dead Sea, which is dead, and one of my favorite places that I had to go to, and we did, was En Gedi, where David said, the deer longs for water, so my soul longs for you. In the dry and weary land where there's no water, my soul is thirsting for you. Guys, it is the most desert you can imagine, and in the middle of it, there's, you don't even see it. You have to start walking like, and there are all this oasis in the, in the cracks of the rock, massive waterfall coming down. And David's saying, that's what you are for me. And then Jesus knows all these longings of man. And it's it's been in my life, all my life, but this is my new heart verse. And uh, John 7, 37. Ah. And we'll be finished after this. And I'll lead us in prayer and, and the worship team can come up after that. I'm in Israel, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the same streets that he's in, and I'm imagining the perfect time when everything was right, he came, right when the Romans were the most fierce, right when everybody just needed them off their backs, and this man is in our way. He's going to get us killed. We've got to kill him, and their religious fervor, all that, but here he comes to the last day of the great feast, which was known for connections to water. And Jesus, can you imagine, sometimes we hear Jesus just with this quiet voice, or maybe if he's yelling, he's yelling at Pharisees, here with this loud voice. He's not over in the corner whispering, hey, got some good news for you, like the gospel we might share. He belts it out with a loud voice. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Friends, I'm not always there, but I will stay. And it's confirmed sometimes by God's grace. People say, I just enjoy being around your kids. I enjoy being around you. There's something coming out of me. It's not just that God's constantly flowing. Jesus here says that when you take of me, you become a resource. It's coming out of you all the time. Do you want that? I want that more and more. So Jesus didn't say, take it once. I think he's, he means keep coming to me again and again. You will not be thirsty. 
you will not be, uh, you know, when you eat something and you're still hungry or you're, you drink something and you're still thirsty? You said, this is, this is the water that fulfills you. It doesn't mean that we're, we take it and then we leave. It does mean that we can endure long times in the desert because it's bubbling out of us. We always got to come back to him. I hope something that I said this morning will inspire you to share. I'm not the guy that walked away from Christ a long time and has this dramatic story, but it's just as dramatic as anybody because I need him just as much as my friend Eli who lived in the streets, and lived in the, in the, the rubbish, and, and lived in the filth and, and lived a life of terrible things. You and I have the same God. And, and we have the same hope. Um, while the worship team comes, I'll, I'll lead us in prayer up here. And if there, anybody does, I mean, Rob's always here. There's leaders here that can pray for you. If there's any needs you have and you want to you make it known, even right now, you can do that right now. We pray for you. But let's, uh, let's pray as we get ready to worship again. Father, we just are so thankful of your love. Father, thank you for removing, even though it's painful, for removing the pretenses and the uh, what is fake, what is artificial. Father, you love us enough to lay us bare. And Father, we ask to be merciful as you do, like help us to endure the discipline but we rejoice uh, in what we've learned. We rejoice that you have refined us and that you are going to perfect us, and especially when you return to be with us. We thank you for the Lord of our life who didn't spare his own, his own, uh, his own will. He wanted to not go through what he went through, but he did it for the joy which was us, was your church. And Father, we thank you that though you loved him, you didn't spare because you loved us. Now, as we as we just go through our week, we pray that you will encourage us, help us to face the world without fear, knowing we have a better place, we have a better home, and that we are a resource. We are your walking sermon. We are your, your workmanship. And you've got work for us to do. Thank you. In his name.